0: Well, good morning, church. My name is Scott. I'm one of the pastors here. You just heard a bunch of different ways to get involved in this season. And again, there's lots of different ways from volunteering Christmas Eve to being part of the Giving Tree, the Urban Impact Partnership. Evelyn Tay, who is one of our volunteers and the lead volunteer on this partnership. She's in the back of the room. Evelyn, wave to all the people. Yep. So you see a woman who serves in multitude of capacities because she volunteers here on the the slides once a month. But if you have any questions about urban impact, ask Evelyn. And this is a chance to use business as mission, to be able to mentor the next wave of of under-resourced entrepreneurs in our city. Again, we don't have to do all the things, but all of us can do something to be a blessing. And my hope today is that as we begin our Advent series, Advent uh, comes from the Latin word, Adventist, to wait expectantly as if for the Lord. Over the coming month, over the coming next four Sundays, we're going to be looking at the family tree of Jesus and considering what it means to enter into God's story And my hope would be twofold, is that you hear something that's really good news for you, that you get a piece of good news where God touches your own life, a relationship that needs hope, uh, uh, something at work, something at school, something where you need a breakthrough even. And then secondly, that God would encourage the experience you have to be a blessing to others, because we never exist just for ourselves. This story of God's people that brought us Jesus Christ, which is uh, written down in Matthew 1, will be a story of relationship, a story of transformation, a story of breakthrough where each life matters and have belonging in order to be a blessing to others, from Abraham to David to Christ. So uh, let's dive in. Let me pray, and uh, we will hear from the Lord. So, Jesus, thank you so much for a chance to open your scriptures. And, Lord, as we consider the family tree, Lord, help us find our place in your family. Help us hear in these old stories of unlikely, messy characters and really hard situations. God, help us find our own situation revealed, our own hope revealed. Uh, held together by your love and your hope and your goodness and your mercy. Lord, teach us again from the old stories of Scripture how you want to become new in our lives in order that we would be a blessing to others. And God, we, we we pray a special blessing for those that come here this morning, either online or in this room, that are feeling like they're just barely hanging on, that there is a great despair they're carrying, or a health prognosis, or a relationship that's in disrepair, or just generally feeling a little hopeless, God, would you speak to them today from your great hope? We love you, Lord. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. The family tree of Jesus, our family tree, and then today in particular, the story of Tamar. The story of Tamar. Our message today, this first Sunday of Advent, is called Divine Mercy, from forsaken and forgotten to forgiving and fruitful. I'm preaching out of Genesis 38, also beginning the series out of Matthew 1, to look at the family tree of Jesus and breaking and broken characters, particularly through Genesis, and then the kind of breakthrough story of Jesus Christ. And again, the big hope would be twofold today, that you experience some sort of good news, some sort of breakthrough in your own life as you kind of head into the month ahead, and that that breakthrough would enable you to be a blessing in the lives of others. This story, Our Family Tree, uh, from Matthew 1, and I'll be reading here from a little bit, but we actually have it here. Uh, This is the entire Matthew 1 genealogy. This is the genealogy of Jesus the Messiah. I'm gonna unpack a little bit of what genealogy means, but it's the family tree. And over the next four weeks of Advent, we're going to be talking about the incarnation, what it means that Jesus came from heaven to be born in Bethlehem as God's good news. And these stories that we'll be going through, I mean, there's some crazy stories in the line of Jesus. I don't know for you, some of you, this feels a little bit fresh coming through maybe the Thanksgiving holidays, like the nuts of the family tree. It's like, oh yeah, no, no, I know, I know that. It's me, or it's, you know, old Uncle Eddie that, you know, peed on the electric fence in Montana, and we're still telling that story, or, you know. But most of the time, when we tell the stories of the hard things in our family tree, they're not often laughable matters. There's stories of betrayal, there's stories of brokenness, there's layers of family secrecy that as you get older, you learn more of the layers of the story. There's those things in our family stories that make you say, huh, that's probably not how they would have planned it. It's the same with the story of Jesus' family, his earthly family had these really unlikely characters, these really broken situations, which as we unpack will have a surprising good news element for us today. Because if Jesus can use the stories that we're going to go through that are in his family history to bring about the incarnation, the good news of Jesus Christ, then he can use our stories as well. He can use our brokenness, our struggling relationships, our hopelessness, our hurts, he can use it all for his glory, he really can. In the family tree of Jesus Christ, there are five women mentioned, if you include Mary, the mother of Jesus. And when Matthew goes to unpack his genealogy, he's writing to a mostly Jewish audience to say, see, the birth line makes sense. The one Jewish people that you've waited for since Abraham, it makes sense. But then there's these five unlikely women in the story of Jesus. Four of them, we'll unpack over the next four weeks, Tamar, uh, Rahab, Bathsheba, and Ruth. Three of the four are prostitutes or were known by prostitution. Four of the five were outsiders to the family of Israel. They were non-Jewish people. They are stories of victimhood and abandonment. They have been forsaken and forgotten. They are people that had every reason to play the victim card or live into the situation being trapped by what the world said they could or couldn't do these stories from 2,500 years ago, and yet somehow God creates this most unlikely stories through these brave, incredible women of the family story. So today we're gonna be looking at this divine mercy, this family tree, and it'll be kind of a kickoff to the next four weeks of Advent as we look at just the surprising family story of Jesus and how we are invited into the story. And again, my hope for us is twofold. That something happens for you as you hear God's word preached that feels like a breakthrough and that that is good news into a relationship and disrepair to your children or a parent or somewhere where you can be a blessing to others. And so our big idea today, simply this, is God writes unlikely stories for uncommon hope and unworthy people in order that Christ's life would be the star of the story. Where do you need Christ's breakthrough this morning? Like this is gonna get real personal here in a moment. Let's begin here and send your bulletin, those of you that are here with us online. It's our first point of our outline. We're gonna begin with the family tree from Matthew 1. This is the basis of our next four weeks of our sermon series, our family tree. Let me read from you Matthew 1, verses one through three. This is the genealogy, which means the family tree, of Jesus the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, Isaac the father of Jacob, Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers, Judah the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar. Twin boys born to an unlikely woman, Tamar, the first woman in the family story. What Matthew says here is this is the beginning. This is the genealogy and the genealogy in modern days we have twenty three and me, where you can, you know, kinda pay your fee and kinda find out like what is my exact family history. And I know that I'm not alone, the twenty three in me has revealed some surprising elements in our family story. We're gonna get to that in a moment. Matthew gets going here, writing to a mostly Jewish audience. He says, this is the genealogy. And the actual Greek that uses, is, this is the Biblos geniosis, Which means he's saying, this is the genesis of the story. This is the very beginning. Jesus, who was a man born to Mary, the Messiah, who was more than a man. Anointed Christ, God incarnate. The son of David, the son of Abraham. Now David comes from... 14 generations after Abraham. So from the beginning, Matthew's saying, this is a little bit different genealogy. He doesn't start with Adam. He starts with Abraham. But here in Matthew 1, he says, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Because those to a Jewish audience would be names that hold incredible meaning. David, the Jewish people believed, was the forever king. And so that Matthew's like, from the beginning, you need to know that Jesus is part of a kingly line but he's the son of Abraham. Abraham, the father of many nations who had blessed everyone. Because when, when Abraham was sent out in Genesis, God says, go to the land I will show you and you will be blessed to be a blessing. Again, we need a breakthrough and never for ourselves alone. this Jesus, he was the son of David, the son of Abraham. He is forever king for everyone. He is forever for everyone. And David is, I'm sorry, Matthew is starting this family's history. Many of us, when we come to those pieces of, of the genealogy in the scripture, it's like, oh, you know, your Bible reading plan, you've committed to a year through the scriptures. That's 3.5 chapters a, a day. And you're just hoping by March you haven't, you know, fallen behind when you hit Leviticus. But good news, because it's, you know, day 14 and you come to a genealogy. You're like, oh, okay, I don't even have to read that. I'm just going to like, sunna, da, da, sunna, da, da, boom, next chapter, right? right? We skip over it oftentimes because for for us, unless we've really studied the scriptures, the names kind of get lost. It's like kind of we're ambivalent. But for the first century, as Jesus comes, Matthew's like, these eight words, this is the new Genesis. This is the best news you've ever heard. This Jesus who we're going to get to him, Matthew's saying, but I need you to know where he comes from because all of us come from a family line. All of us come from a family history, and this son of David, the high king forever, son of Abraham for everyone everywhere, this is the Jesus that Matthew wants us to know. For for the first century, the, the genealogy was so important that like this was your, you know, I mean, we it fails in comparison to now, but it's like your 23 me and your LinkedIn profile and your TikTok or your Instagram feed. It's like, this is who I am, world. In the first century, your genealogy was that. The genealogy was your entire purpose and where you fit in a very stratified social structure in first century Israel. King Herod was despised by his fellow Jews because in his family history, he was half Edomite. And so he killed all the official registers in his hometown so that no one could be proved to have a better genealogy than him. Uh, The genealogy to the first century mattered in incredible ways. My Bible teacher, Dale Bruner at Whitworth, he taught that Matthew 1 genealogy, that it's incomplete because it starts with Abraham, and first century Jews definitely didn't believe that Abraham was the father of all humans forever. That started with Adam, but David begins with these groups of 14 There's three groups of 14. There's 14 names that go from Abraham to David, kind of rising up to the kingly line. And then 14 generations from David to Babylon captivity. And then 14 generations from captivity and brokenness to Jesus. And it's like Matthew is kind of painting a picture in the family story of Jesus that these names matter and God is up to something. God has been architecting something Through a very long time, and through situations that probably look hopeless or meaningless to an outsider, God was still working. In the complexities of life, God is still working. In the characters where we don't see where they're going to fit into our life, God is still working. In the pain, in the situation that today we'll look at with Tamar, but in your life as well. God is still working. This is the family story. And there's, again, these unlikely characters, these women that Matthew included, that's quite remarkable. Again, my my Bible teacher, Dale Bruner, who's gone on to some fame since I had him 20-some years ago, but Bruner writes in his commentary about Matthew, he says, several truths about the five women catch the reader's attention. First, the simple fact that women are mentioned in Matthew's genealogy is noteworthy. Usually the names of men suffice in biblical genealogies, and women's names were added only if they ensured the purity of the line or enhanced its dignitaries. But all four women before Mary are non-Jews. Tamar was a Canaanite, Rahab was a Jerichoite, Ruth was a Moabite, and Bathsheba, through marriage, a Hittite. All four of the women were anomalous or irregular. Few parents use the behavior of Tamar or Bathsheba as a moral model for their sons or daughters. Matthew is preaching the gospel even in the genealogy, even in the family tree. Matthew is saying, God can handle your brokenness. God could handle your forsakenness. If you feel forgotten or like somebody double crossed you, God can use that too in really unlikely ways, this family tree is one of divine mercy. The divine mercy. Matthew 1-2 says Abraham was the father of Isaac, Isaac the father of Jacob, Jacob the father of Judah, Judah the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar. Now the story of Tamar comes from Genesis 38. I'm gonna read some selections in a little bit. But Tamar was Judah's daughter-in-law. Tamar was... Genesis 38 teaches us, was married to a bad man who died from his sin. The Bible is ambiguous about what caused his death, but God is a just God, and Tamar's first husband was not a good man. Her second son pledged to her, which was part of the family tree. If you were a widow, it was the responsibility of your father-in-law to care for you and to give you the next son. Because for a woman in that generation to not have an heir, to not have a home to care for, she was forsaken. She was forgotten. She was invisible. She was powerless. And so Judah pledged his second son, but that didn't work out. You can read more about Genesis 38 because I'm going to warn you, This is a messy story. Like when you read Genesis 38 this week, if you dig in, you're like, oh, okay. The second son did not impregnate Tamar. He didn't fulfill, like it's messy, like to a really high degree. One of the messiest stories, I feel like, in the Old Testament. And still, Jesus is working. The father-in-law, Judah, had then pledged Tamar to his third-born son, but even though this third-born son had grown, Tamar had been ignored, Judah had sent her home. Judah was dealing with some of his own brokenness. Judah was the fourth son of Jacob. Uh, he, in Genesis, was part of selling Joseph into captivity. So Genesis 38, this story of Tamar and Judah is embedded in this larger story of Jacob's son who take their youngest brother, Joseph, and throw him, or one of the younger sons, and throw him into a well and sell him to a slave trader. And Joseph goes, who they think is dying or dead, and he ends up a slave in Egypt. The story of Joseph, as you can read about in Genesis 50, an incredible story that when you feel forsaken or forgotten, God is still working. But back to Tamar and Genesis 38, and this really messy story where her father-in-law, Judah, was meant to care for her, but Tamar was victimized. It was an unjust system, and so Tamar devises a way to create justice of her own accord. It was an act of desperation that Tamar does in Genesis 38 to carry on the family line, even though she had been marginalized, that she can maintain an identity. Tamar was a victim, and she had no other options in that culture. She acted with a daring faith, and she took justice in her own hands. Remember, she has no other options. Genesis 38, verse 13, when Tamar was told, your father-in-law Judah is on his way to Timnah to shear his sheep, she took off her widow's clothes that she'd worn for decades, she covered herself with a veil to disguise herself. And then she sat down at the entrance to Enem, which is on the road to Timnah. And she saw though Shelah, Judah's third son, had grown up, she had not been given to him as a wife. She'd been double-crossed by Judah. Now, in that day, prostitution, again, it's a bit of a shady story. But it was normal in these days, especially 2,500 years ago, in conjunction with harvesting and shearing seasons, something about a ritual. Judah heads to Timnah, which is located in southern Israel, and Tamar veils herself. She poses as a prostitute. She captivates Judah. And as Judah approaches on the road, she brokers a deal— He's interested in her presentation. And she says, in exchange for this intimacy, give me your staff, give me your cord, give me your ring. So This is, you know, 2,500 years ago, this is the, like your, your wallet, your cell phone. She wants proof that she won't be double-crossed again. And then she becomes pregnant with twins, Paraz and Zara. And she keeps these symbols of Judah's false righteousness, his cords, his ring, his staff. And she goes back home, and she puts on her widow's clothes again. What? <laughs> this, is, this isn't Jesus' birth story? Like, I thought we were going to tell Christmas stories this year, Scott. Can we, like, kind of starting Advent a little rough. This is a really surprising story in a really unlikely character. And the net result, as Matthew 1 says, is this baby Perez. I'm going to talk about Perez. And we're going to talk about Judah. He's actually transformed through the situation. We're going to talk about Tamar. Because to be included in the family line of Christ, she's exonerated of anything unjust. She is forgiven, and she is fruitful, and God uses a really broken family situation to bring goodness, because all of our family stories carry a degree on this side of heaven of brokenness, of things that we wish weren't part of the story, but they just are, and that's something that we were part of, or something that happened to us, or something that we know about, all of us can look at our families and say, that's probably not the way it should have been. Our family stories carry scars, carry histories, but Christ can redeem them. My own family tree had a bit of surprise for me. About five years ago, it's a much longer story, but I was raised with one biological brother And there was a degree when I was raised of like, hey, your family has it all together because some outward markers of success or that we went to church or these different things. But there was stuff like any family that we were struggling with. And then five years ago, I got this surprising note, actually through Facebook. Hey, I think I'm your sister. I did 23andMe and I'm connected to you. I don't know if you have those moments where like everything you believed about your family was just different somehow. I found out within a couple months that I had a sister and a brother that were part of my family tree. That before my mom and dad had my brother and I, that these two other siblings had been conceived in those days, 50 years ago, pregnant women, went to birthing centers in the Northwest and lived in homes and gave their babies, many of them, up for adoption because they didn't have a lot of options. So now I found out I have a sister who loves the Lord in California, a brother, a Lutheran pastor who loves the Lord in Wisconsin. God writes incredible stories of surprise. And when I first found out, I remember feeling a little bit torn, like, oh, Like what part of my family story that's so different now am I responsible for, how am I going to tell my kids? How are we going to, how do we deal with these secrets? And we just made a decision, Heather and I, like no secrets, no lies, all grace. Let's lean into relationship. So I flew to California, met my sister, met my brother, my bio brother. We now meet once a year. We call it Sibling Summit at one of our houses. Our kids now know each other. My kids got an extra uncle, an extra aunt, leaning into the surprise of the family tree. And God has worked amazing healing through these new relationships. Now, if God can do healing in these stories we're gonna be talking about the next four weeks, how much more can he do surprises in our family tree, in our own hearts, as we get an experience of, what God wants to do with us. But we must deal with our brokenness. And we see this here in the second point of our outline, these broken and breaking characters from Genesis 38. The story of Genesis 38, the first woman in the line of Christ, this, this woman Tamar, her father-in-law Judah, how is he going to deal with finding out about his daughter-in-law's pregnancy Like many people, Judah actually was dealing with his own pain. It says in Genesis 38 that his wife has died. He has two sons that have died. And you read Genesis 38. It's really descriptive. He's broken. And then he turns to Tamar, who he thinks is an innocent relationship. How interesting is it that we turn to medicating our pain instead of turning to God? In this case, Judah, the father-in-law, turned unknowingly to a daughter-in-law, but he should have just dealt with his own brokenness. In Genesis 37, it's actually Judah that's part of selling Joseph into slavery. It says in Genesis 37, uh, 26, verse 26, Judah said to his brothers right before this Judah and Tamar story, what will we gain if we just kill Joseph and cover his blood? Come, let's sell him to the Ishmaelites and not lay our hands on him. After all, he's our brother. He's our flesh and blood. It's Judah's idea to sell Joseph in Genesis 37 to a slave. And then in Genesis 38, he is involved with this really broken relationship or or situation with Tamar. Now, when Judah finds out that Tamar's pregnant, he does what so many of us do when faced with our sin. He tries to cover it up. Look at Genesis 38, verse 20. Meanwhile, Judas sent the young goat promised uh, to, to Tamar by a friend. He doesn't even go himself in order to get his pledge back, his staff, his ring, his cords. He wants to cover up the, the situation, but he didn't find her there. He asked the men who live there, hey, where's that woman, that shrine prostitute who was beside the road? And then the people said, there hasn't been anyone like that here. There wasn't a shrine prostitute. And you can almost imagine Judah like, oh no, what have I done? So the friend goes back to Judah and says, I didn't find her. And besides the men who lived there said, there hasn't been anyone like that here. And then Judah said, let her keep what she has or we will become a laughing stock. After all, I did send her this young goat, but you didn't find her. He's like, let's just cover this up. Let's certainly not try to find the woman. Let's not try to find my staff and my ring and my cords. And then he hears later on in verse 24 that your daughter-in-law Tamar is guilty of prostitution and she's pregnant. And then Genesis 38 says this incredible thing in verse 24. Judah says, bring her out and have her burn to death. In the face of Tamar's supposed sin and failure, he moves quickly to judgment. He moves quickly to, to judging her. Like, why do we do that? Keep in mind, again, Judah, is, he's, he's mourning the loss of his wife. He's mourning the loss of his kids. He's now committed this heinous act. He's aware, and his friend is aware, that something's really awful going on. And, and then we find out about someone else's sin. And he's like, how about them? Let, let's deal publicly with their sin, And ignore my own. And I think there's this thing in in, in our stories, friends, that is an invitation for divine mercy. Because if we're going to really enter into the family line of Jesus, it's not about judging others. It's about revealing places of brokenness in our own lives. And to say, God, I, I failed, or I failed to live up to your standard, and I want you to heal me. And the divine mercy of Jesus is available to anyone that wants to move from that position of judging others to laying their own brokenness before the Lord, saying, God, will you help change me? This is the divine mercy, but you've got to take off the veneer of the, hey, I've got it all together. Move beyond the judging others and bring your own life before the Lord. This is what this church has sought to exemplify for over 100 years in the city. That's let's get real here, shall we? Can we just stop judging for a moment and just invite the divine mercy of Christ into my story? When Heather and I started at Bethany in 2003, pregnant with our now college freshman, Pastor Richard would quote Pastor John, his predecessor for 35 years, who talked about the congregation as the army of the anonymous and said the work of the church was like tangling our heartstrings together. It was a work of being vulnerable with each other and caring for one another. And I still remember 2003. I still remember the Little Brick Church by Green Lake. I still remember looking for a church in Seattle where you know, we could just like grow our faith and raise our daughter in it. And I still remember Pastor Richard's words about removing the veneer that many of us in the Christian world wrap around our lives to pretend that we have it all together. And the invitation that he uh, he offered us 19 years ago was, let's just be real here together, shall we? So, the gospel is simply this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And that's what I want us to end here, that Romans 5.8, this is the breakthrough of the Jesus story. I'm going to touch on this briefly, and we're going to get back to this next week, and the week after that, and the week after that. Romans 5.8, God showed his love for us, and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. This family tree has so much good news for us in our lives. If we can experience that breakthrough of moving from judging to vulnerability and existing to be a blessing in the lives of others by saying, God, can you transform this situation for me? Judah and Tamar become perfect case studies of moving from broken to breakthrough. Because what's absolutely incredible in this story is that... Tamar says, oh, you want to judge me, Judah? Can you ask, before he kills me, she sends a messenger, can you ask Judah whose staff and ring and cords I have? And they send the messenger, and then Judah's like, oh my gosh. The woman who I've been looking for or not looking for is the same woman who I'm I'm trying to convict of you know, the high treason of infidelity. It's me that needs the mercy of Christ. It's me that needs the forgiveness of God. This is uh, verse 26 of Genesis 38. Judah recognized the items that she sends back, and then he says, she's more righteous than I, since I didn't give her to my thirdborn son, Shelah. And then it says, he didn't sleep with her again. Now, again, Judah's transformation. Genesis 37, I'm going to sell my brother to slave traders. Genesis 38, I'm not going to deal with my my sadness of being a widow and and losing my son. So I'm going to turn towards a woman on the side of the road. And then when I find out she's pregnant, I want her killed. But Judah changes through Tamar's story. Judah sees his own brokenness and he invites God to transform it it says in genesis 44 later in the story of joseph i mean i'm covering big swaths of history here but i think this transformation is so incredible that now when jacob's sons go down to egypt to feed their family and joseph is there and deals with them it's judah that offers his own life in exchange for one of his brothers genesis 44 verse 33 judah says hey Hey king, who he doesn't even know is his brother yet, let your servant remain here as a slave in place of the boy Benjamin and let the boy Benjamin return with the brothers. How can I go back to my father Jacob if the boy is not with me? No, do not let me see the misery that would come on my father. So he goes from selling his brother to committing this heinous act with Tamar to recognizing through Tamar's bravery his own brokenness to Genesis 44 he says let me be the one to sacrifice my life to protect my family. It's an incredible story of transformation. It's an incredible story of change, all exemplified by this incredible woman Tamar, who for her pain is is forgiven. And granted into the story, she has two boys, Zara and Perez. And Perez means, my God has broken through. You ever wonder why Raul Perez has so much of the Holy Spirit in? Because Perez means, my God has broken through in Hebrew. That's a really neat story. There's a first baby, a cord gets tied on its hand, goes back into the mother. I mean, Genesis 38 is full of surprises. But here's what I want you to know. This is a God of breakthrough. Perez, in the family line of Christ, whose mother was Tamar, whose father was Judah, yuck. God did a breakthrough. God did a new thing. God brought new hope. God invited really unlikely characters so that people would experience the goodness of the divine mercy. And over this month ahead, our hope is twofold for you, that you would experience a breakthrough of God's spirit, God's hope in a situation that feels really hopeless, a health diagnosis that feels really difficult, a relationship with a parent, with a child, with a friend at school, something with your work that you would experience a breakthrough. And then that God would use you to be a blessing in the lives of others because we've never existed just for ourselves. We never exist just for ourselves. When I was a high school student at Capitol High School in Olympia, Washington in the 1990s, I needed actually a breakthrough. I was raised in the church, but I hadn't yet encountered the Holy Spirit. I just knew the rules of Christianity, none of the relationship, and it wasn't enough. And I became painfully aware that I wasn't the kind of person that was going to make an impact in the world. And it grieved me because I was kind of a, kind of a heavy 16, 17-year-old. Like I worried about these really existential things. And it was a ministry leader, a young life leader that challenged me, go and be a blessing in that school. I can't, I said. They've already judged me. I I ran for freshman class president and I lost because I wore a turtleneck and some girl thought I was an idiot. I mean this is like life as a 15 year old. And they hate me and he said no. Go one person at a time, one day at a time and look one person in the eyes and say hello and learn their name. Be a person that matters in that school. And he was teaching me how to be a minister and teaching me how to be human to come out of my own shell and experience the lives of other people and help create belonging. And so I would go into the school and every single day, it felt stupid, I would meet one person, I would look them in the eye. I went to camp that summer and though I felt like a really unlikely character in the story of God, I responded to an invitation to be in God's family. And I said, Lord, I wanna follow you rest of my life I don't know if I'm ever going to play sports again I'd cut my finger off cleaning a salmon I don't know where I'm going to go yeah long story I know I'm like I need a breakthrough God and the Holy Spirit descended and opened me up and I said yes And my life was never the same That whole senior year, I'd committed to continuing to try to be a blessing in the lives of others. I had experienced a breakthrough, but we never exist just for ourselves. It felt pretty pointless, actually, but I just, hey, you know, just be kind. One person a day. Learn one name a day. And it was the final day at the, it was graduation ceremony, actually, at St. Martin's College. It was all over. Heading off to college, saying goodbye to a few friends. We'd done the tassels. we had thrown the hats. We had the garb on. And through the crowd, hey, Scott, this young guy, he's like, hey, hey, I wanted to say goodbye before you left. He was going to be a senior. He said, I needed to say thank you to you. For what, I asked? He said, you pointed me to light of Christ. You never talked about it to me, but you showed me that I mattered. I saw how you met others. I saw what God did in your life, and just this year, I gave my own life to Jesus Christ. I wanted to say thank you. We experience a breakthrough, and it's never for our lives alone. So as we move into a time of worship now, I want to call the band back, and just a moment, our prayer ministers will join us on the sides. I just... I want you to be really mindful as we worship here in these last couple of songs and prayerful. God, what is a breakthrough that I long for this season that you would name it and that you would pray about it Again, it's a relationship, it's something with your family, it's something with your work, it's something with your heart, it's something with your faith, it's something where you need the supernatural power of God to break through a situation that can feel kind of dark and kind of hopeless, and that God would speak to every one of us in this room, and people online as well, in these breakthrough moments, that we'd be praying with specifics about what we want God to do in our life. And then, for those that are ready, able, willing, that you would pray, God, who do you want me to be a blessing for in the month ahead? It's somebody that lives next door to me, somebody that lives in my house, somebody at school. God, I want to experience a breakthrough. Can you help use me as a light to others? We're gonna pray about that. We're gonna sing about that. We're gonna be invited to respond to that. Will you pray with me now? Jesus, thank you so much for this moment to consider your breakthrough this really incredible story of Tamar, a really, frankly, difficult story. But God, thank you that you recorded the yucky stuff too. Thank you that you recorded the broken stuff too. Thank you that you recorded the families that look way messier than the stuff that I'm dealing with. Because God, when we read that in Matthew 1, when we go back to Genesis 38, we are aware that there is a divine mercy, God, from your son, Jesus Christ, that his birth in this world changes our lives. And so, God, as we sing, as we, as we pray to you now, will you, will you meet us in the interior spaces of our hearts as we name the breakthrough that we're longing for, that Perez moment, that, that good news breaking through the heart? God, let us articulate where we're hoping for you to break through and would your spirit minister to us that this would be a month of not just surviving or acquiring, but it would be a month of breakthrough for your people. And then, God, speak to us where we can be blessings in the lives of others. We've never been meant to exist for just ourselves. So, God, give us a name. Give us a face. Give us a situation. Give us a place for your hope to break through maybe a situation we feel a little hopeless so that we'd be people of deep encounter with your mercy, being a divine light into the world that we live. Lord, we love you. And all God's people said, amen. I'm going to invite you to stand and sing. As you sing, will you pray? Naming your breakthrough, naming the place where you can be a blessing. And as always, these prayer ministers would love to pray with you or for you something that you're carrying this week. So let's close in song.